0: Hello, friends. I want to tell you about Diaspora Co., the company that is building a better spice trade. If you don't know Diaspora Co., let me tell you all about it. You want to know how are they building a better spice trade? Well, first and foremost, they're paying farmers four times the commodity price and three times the fair trade price. And these are not just transactional relationships. These are long term relationships that they've been building year after year after year, that touches over 200 regenerative farms and most importantly, 1,500 farm workers. These are actually some of the very best spices that you can buy on the market. The freshness and potency are unmatched. So if you're thinking right now about how you've had the same dusty spices in your cabinet for two years, head to diasporaco.com and bring home a world of flavor. Free shipping on orders of $70 or more. Welcome to The Stephen Satterfield Show, part
1: of Whetstone Radio Collective. Welcome back today. I'm excited to have Krista Barfield on a special Earth Day episode. If you don't know Krista, she's a Philly native and the founder of three agrarian-based food businesses. In 2018, she developed multiple food brands that were based in principles of regenerative agriculture with a goal of traceable and transparent food origins. In addition to those companies, Viva Leaf Tea Company and Farmer John Agriculture, respectively, she's now operating a non-profit organization, Farmer John and Friends, with multiple sites totaling over 128 acres of land. Wow with the mission to train and educate the next generation of black and brown agropreneurs, On this episode, we talk about her career shift to becoming a farmer after years as a healthcare professional, what inspired her love of agriculture, and the journey to becoming an entrepreneur, particularly balancing motherhood, success, and sacrifice, where she speaks very poignantly with great wisdom. I think you will all love this conversation with Krista coming up now on The Steven Satterfield Show with Home Talent's very own Krista Barfield. Jump in, Krista Barfield. Stephen. As I said, thanks for making time. Where are you today?
2: Yeah, thank you for having me, Stephen. I am actually in Philadelphia for a change. <laughs> Yeah, this year has been a lot of moving around, but I am back home in Philly for the time being. Yeah,
1: beautiful. And I feel like your brand is so thoroughly associated with Philadelphia. We'll get into to all of all of your work, but what's your relationship to Philly? Let's just start there. What's what's Philly mean to you?
2: Yeah, I'm a native. I'm born and raised. I am a true embodiment of what a Philly join is. Hence the name of my my company, which is one part of of the reason why I named it that. Yeah. Farmer John is my love story to Philadelphia. Truly, that just so happens to be able to have impact nationwide. So even internationally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Farmer John. So you are a farmer.
2: I am a farmer. Yeah, I'm a farmer. I'm a herbalist. I am a entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I'm a put people honor. I'm you know, I do all those mm-hmm. things.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm with that. Let's talk about your work as a farmer. Does that mean just like you grow vegetables or does that mean other things? Like I know that what farming means to most people. Mm-hmm. And what farming looks like on an industrial scale. So, in other words, like how the government thinks about farmers. Yes. What kinds of activities does a farmer get involved in?
2: Yeah, I, I always like to say that farming is a, it's a dedication to your of your body, to to the land and to people. So to people and planet the mo- the greatest sacrifice that a farmer can give is their own self, their own physicality, because that's the first, first and foremost, that's absolutely what's necessary in order to do the work of farming and to, to truly be able to be a farmer is having some, some level of mobility so that you can get out there and do the work that the soil needs to really be enriching and to give you the yield that you're looking for. And in our case, At Farmer John, we are organic farmers and we grow vegetables primarily and herbs as well. But our focus is definitely on um, vegetables. And then we have an array of fruits and herbs that we grow. And it's all about health. It all comes back down to health, health of people, health of the planet and health of society from a social perspective as well.
1: So you're looking at farming as a social good, particularly improving social health or public health as the specific social good where did your interest in farming as the answer the solution or if not that like i don't mean to be grandiose like even for you like that calling even if you want to bring it to a personal level
2: yeah.
1: when and where did those dots connect for you
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I can start from the beginning. You know, my background is in healthcare. So I am a healthcare professional. That's what I was first. I always loved science as a child. I always loved the discovery of new things. How things worked was always of interest. And being raised by a healthcare professional, my mother, I watched her be in hospitals all over the city of Philadelphia in the region as a registered nurse and now as a, a doctorate of nursing practice and as an educator as well. Just being inspired by that, I just always knew that I wanted to be in healthcare. Keeping in my love of biology and in life sciences, I decided to go into healthcare administration. So not on the clinical side, but being on the admin side and running the the inner workings of a practice, the most important in, in many ways, because it's like, how does a practice get paid? <laughs> so I managed the money for many different doctors uh, that I've worked for over the years. And in my latest practice, I found myself completely burnt out from all the work that I had done for others and without taking care of myself. And realizing that my doctors were multimillionaires and staying in that role, I would never be that. And it came to a point one day in 2018 where I just was like, I have to go. I just can't do this anymore. And I ended up quitting my job. Three weeks later, I took a trip my very first time out of the country to Martinique. My experience there, I I literally interacted with food at an indigenous level. I had this Thai chef that was a, a transplant to Martinique who ran an Airbnb, who every single morning was making me cups of tea using herbs that I watched him pick right from his backyard and put them in a cup and pour hot water over it and gave it to me to enjoy. And that was my first time realizing what wellness really looked like. And it was an introspection of self through that cup of tea. And it was an experience that I held on to. And then that was the first experience in Martinique. The second one went to another part of the island days later. And I was met by this this man who owned the Airbnb. And he's like, hey, I know you're here by yourself. I can have my son come pick you up tomorrow to take you around the island. I said, sure. Went on a voyage around the island with his son. He showed me many different places. And then at the end, he was like, hey, I can either drop you off at home at my you know, my dad's house or I can take you with me. I'm going to work. And I just was like, oh, sure. Like, let's just keep it rolling. I'll go with you. And he ends up bringing me to this place where his these people, his team are like packing boxes of fruits, vegetables, herbs getting it all prepared in succession and the whole team is pitching in to get it done. And I just jump in and then I see people walk up a couple hours later to come take these boxes away. And then I learned this is dope. These people are incorporating agriculture into their lifestyle. Like this is just how they move. And they're all just seem like so happy and blissful. And there's ownership in all of it too. It's like, They are sustained. And the the biggest part of that me seeing those farmers in Martinique is that they were all Black. They all looked like me. And that was the first time I saw what it looked like to be a triumphant Black farmer that wanted Mm -hmm. to farm and was getting their fair share because they owned it. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go home and I'm going to start a tea company and I'm going to start a farm. And that's what I did.
1: (laughs) That is really really impressive on so many levels the insight to well we're talking about how you how how you connected the dots from a health perspective but like you know a lot of people have gone on vacation and had like an inspired moment over tea or a drink but it's only 2023 <laughs> it's <true>. so like you <laughs> <laughs> that was only Five years ago. Five years ago was like five seconds ago.
2: Yeah.
1: And now that one vision, you flipped into a real company, mm-hmm. you know, how on earth really? And what has that journey been like for you in such a, I mean, you really had to have started that in real time. Like you came home and you got busy. So yeah. yeah, you had to. Because this is just such a short amount of time. So like, how did that happen? and, And what did that look like for you?
2: Yeah, I would definitely say I was my own sacrificial lamb. And I think that most people don't they don't understand what true success is and what it takes to be successful is that there's so much sacrifice that goes into play during this time while I have been building the company, like in that five-year period, I was absolutely, I've been all these things. I've been the absolute poorest I've ever been in my life. And I've also been the wealthiest I've ever been in my life, all in that same time frame. <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> That's the name of the game.
2: Yes. And um, yeah, like I've had bouts of homelessness. And then like, now I have two homes, 45 minutes mm-hmm. from each other. Cause I have homes where my farms are. So like there has been so much that has taken place and so much sacrifice that has led us to where we are today. But what it looked like when I first got back to the States, it was like, okay, Krista, you have some savings. Let's try to supplement that by on from 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. you're going to drive Uber and from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. you're going to deliver groceries through Instacart. And then in the middle of the day, that's when you are pinky in the branding it and like get into it. And that's literally what I did Monday through Friday. Like I just ran it like that. And then on weekends, I would go take volunteering opportunities wherever I could find any farm that was willing to allow me to come visit them. I would go do that to do any type of like volunteering work and things like that. So I could try to get a real knowledge of like what it is I was saying I was going to become, which was a farmer especially as an urban woman coming from and being black coming from Philadelphia, one of the, you know, the fifth largest Metro by population in the nation and out of nowhere saying like, I'm going to be a farmer. Everybody's looking at me like I'm completely crazy, especially because I quit my job. So like that Mm -hmm. was a voluntary decision. (laughs) So people are just like
1: To, to be a farmer. Like we don't know farmers like that.
2: Yes. And it's like, The rhetoric that has been painted for us as a society when it comes to farming is that farmers are poor. Like, that's what we are told. And I'm like, okay, but there's definitely if food is what farmers do primarily, if food is what farmers have the power to create and grow, they're basically have the ability to print money. Is that was my thinking. And I'm like, everybody has to eat every day. And, you know, there are some exceptions to that. But for the most part, everybody's eating on a daily basis and investing dollars into doing so, especially in urban communities. So for me, it was like, make it make sense. And I embarked on taking all the business knowledge that I had from this degree and from running other people's businesses and then adapting that to now figuring out how do I learn the skill sets of farming and then bring both of those two things together, the operations of a business as well as the operations of farming.
1: And God, the hustle too of... Really the discipline, you know, of carving out that time where you had to get your bread, you know, you do what you have to do, you drive, but really that time in the during the day must have been electric for you because that was your time. Yeah. And I've, I've been in that place, you know, you did say something that I noticed, which is that at times in your entrepreneurial journey, you've gone without your own housing. Mm-hmm. The same is true for me actually. But I never really had the courage to like say that. Yeah. You know, to people publicly.
2: You're the first person I've said it to, honestly.
1: <laughs> yeah, right?
2: Yeah. I feel like this is the moment <laughs> for people to know the truth.
1: Yeah, I agree with you because, you know, that brings up a lot for me. But this being the first time that you've said that you, you must feel that you are at a place in life where there's an adequate distance from that space where you're like, no, I can actually speak on what it took for me to create that distance. So what does it feel like for you to just kind of almost matter of factly say that? Meanwhile, I know when you were living that. Yeah that was a completely different situation.
2: So true. And when you say distance, I wouldn't even say distance in time. I would just say distance in circumstance because there's no way I'm ever going to return back there. <laughs> you know, and so it was a lot. I went through, you know, the the true bouts of entrepreneurship, especially as a mother, because I had always been used to being able to care for my children, provide housing for them, You know, made sure we had cars that worked, all of those things. And to get to a point where I'm like, okay, this house we're not going to be able to keep. We're not going to be able to stay here anymore. I've been sustaining and holding it down as as much as I can. But I choose my business now. That was the part for me. It was like nobody could understand it. I literally Mm -hmm. had to tell my children that they had to go live with their dad because I was choosing my business over them. And that is not popular opinion, because the thing that people didn't understand is that I quit my job. Like I quit a well-paying job. I had my own parking spot in Center City, Philadelphia at this job. <laughs> so like abandonment now is like everything else be damned. It, this is going to be successful at all costs. My, and I am doing this. I'm doing it, this at a very high level also. So therefore, it's going to require everything else takes a back seat. And that includes these two beautiful creatures that I created. <laughs> and so that was something that, that was a sacrifice from, from my family standpoint. But I had to make sure that I was going to be fine in order for them to even have outlook on success. Like real success for them is if I'm set up properly. And people don't understand that, especially from a a mom standpoint, like the whole selfishness part. I believe in selfishness. I think that's a major part that people miss and their own mental health and wellness ends up being, you know, takes a huge hit. And then we're walking around poor, whereas now I can actually be healthy and sane in myself and comfortable with my decisions. And y'all can actually have a really good life that I can that I set y'all up for. I hear you. And I said, um, that was January 2nd of 2018 when I quit my job. Three weeks later, I'm on a plane to another country, like just quitting my job. So people really thought I was nuts. That whole process of saying like, okay, you quit your job and you're going to go spend money on vacation. I sure am.
1: <laughs> I know they came for you, Krista. Yes. <laughs> I know they came for you in 2018 in January.
2: Yep. Lord. <laughs> That was a decision that also is all a part of the journey. And to me, that was also sacrificial and selfish. Mm -hmm. Sacrifice Mm -hmm. and selfishness go hand in hand. And the, the right amount, the right formula, if you will, is necessary to me for anybody's success.
1: There is something about you that allows you to both, A, have that awareness and B, not have one of these elements overpower the other. Mm-hmm. In other words, you can't be the the relationship between selfishness and sacrifice. Like they gotta be in relationship.
2: They do. Right.
1: So it sounds, I'm not going to say that you are giving people the advice to do as you've done, but I do feel that there is something unique about you that has allowed you to keep sacrifice and selfishness in harmony in a way that maybe everybody else would not have all of the tools and skills to. So how do you like reconcile that? Maybe for, for other people who are looking at your story and journey, yeah. you know, who maybe want to quit their well-paying jobs. That might not be the right thing for you to do. So how, how do you reconcile that, you know, for, for other people with respect to your own story?
2: Yeah, you know, it is really a personal journey. It is. I think that um, on the sacrifice side, it's so important to look at what are your bare necessities? What are the things that you can absolutely live with or without? And for me, I just knew that. I had already quit my job and I had told myself that I was going to go full force and not look back as far as working for somebody else. So for me, that was a non-negotiable. I had to, after coming off this vacation and I'm like, I want to be a farmer and this is what I'm going to do. And it wasn't, I want to go work for a farm. It was, I'm going to start these businesses. And I had never been even thought about entrepreneurship before. So me, my sacrifice was that whatever stood in the way of me being able to have these businesses operate at a high level, it then had to take a backseat. It it had to go. And to be completely honest, and specifically that was going to be my family. My family in that moment were, was this is going to sound very selfish, but true. They weren't, it wasn't serving me. They weren't serving me. I was serving them because I am their mother and that's what we do. Right. But I was giving all of myself to something that didn't have the ability to give back because our kids in themselves and their very nature are, are also selfish beings, which is why they most of the time are living their best life, especially at that age. So kids, that age, teenagers are selfish and that's why they be living their best life. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so for
0: it's me, so like
2: my, my job as a mother overall is to make sure that you are safe and fed, And happy, and I can do that by your father taking care of you. He's a great guy. Y'all can go right over there. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That is going to be fine. And I can and I can sleep well knowing that they're good, while I can focus. And so, and then that selfishness came because it was, hey, like you know, we'll get together. Twice a month, you know, like this is what I can do. We can do this twice a month. Y'all can, you can come spend time with me whenever you would like to, but like we'll plan dates twice a month to go out and hang out. And sometimes I miss those dates because I really was on my grind. And I think that that's what I mean by like sacrifice and the selfishness piece. And then it even translated into my company where then the selfishness and sacrifice came to where I needed to, in order to grow, I needed to build the team. In order to build a team, people had to be paid. And so if I was paying other people still being super small, that means I wasn't getting a paycheck. So during that time of like the ebbs and flow of homelessness and like having meals and like all of that, I had a team that were getting a salary, but I had nothing. And again, these are like background stuff where that nobody knows, right? Like how, oh, people are looking, I'm going to events, I'm dressed to the nines. I'm like all of this, I'm broke as shit. (laughs) Like I ain't got no money, (laughs) but my team is good. And my kids are good. And that's because I had that balance of sacrifice and selfishness.
1: Wow, that is a complete sermon. So Mm -hmm. for anybody- who really wants to know what it takes or what it means or what does it look like to be an entrepreneur that is possibly the best description, personal testimony that I've heard because it's so true. And I mean, the parts about both eating last and also putting your shit first is like such a balance.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And... When I'm outside and broke like that, after everybody on my team is already eaten, it's like I can deal with that. You know what I'm saying? Like this is a thing that can happen with at a four digits, five digits, six yep. digits, seven digits, eight digits. Because you're talking about doubling down, you know, leverage. So this is a this is a common thing for entrepreneurs at every single scale. Every time you decide I'm gonna double down again, you know, you might yep. you know buy inventory, whatever you do you might find yourself yes. in that situation so it's a it's a very common practice and um i really think that's like a profound articulation you know talking about when when to be selfish and and when to to kind of be selfless and that really is the full story let's talk about solo travel where you first had this epiphany yes and what it what it means for you because you it clear I mean obviously like you have a, a whole success story that came from yeah. you taking that time in a different country by yourself mm-hmm. so what does it mean for you to travel by yourself
2: yeah it, it's a, a, a chance for you to really get to be by yourself and with yourself with your own thoughts and do exactly what you want to do not with no coercion or influence by anyone else. And that, to me, is priceless because, again, that's, those same words come into play, sacrifice and, and selfishness. When you're on a trip by yourself, it gives you you're, you don't have any other choice but to be selfish. And it's not like a conscious decision that you're making. It just is. And you really get to, to know who you are by just existing. Making decisions that aren't influenced by anybody else is a beautiful thing because you really get to be in tune with yourself and, and have that introspection.
1: I love that. And I know that as a person who's had the luxury of traveling outside of the U.S., I know our navy blue passport goes heavy. But also like being a Black person from the U.S., Mm. feeling more free in so many instances, honestly, countless instances outside of our country feeling free. What does that look like for you? Like how you felt as a Black woman traveling Solo around the world.
2: You know, I love being a, a low. love being where the locals are because no matter where you go as an American, those locals are going to know that you are American. <laughs> they can like smell the American on you. <laughs> I don't know what it is, and I just love the the way that they are welcoming. And one because at at one point our dollar was very strong, and so that's a great reason why people want to welcome us in. But also because. For me, I can only speak for myself specifically, but I am very much a sponge. I love to just go in and just I'm very intrigued, genuinely intrigued by the way that other people are living. That's why I why I love, you know, touristy areas can be cool. But if I can choose, I'm always going to go with I want to be where the locals are because I want to be immersed in real culture. Because as an American woman who didn't travel anywhere until, after, you know, till my 30th birthday, I feel like I don't know a lot and I don't consider myself cultured because there's over, you know, there's 200 countries and I barely explored any of them. So I am want to be a sponge and I have such reverence for other cultures that I just really want to soak it in and be of service wherever I go. You know, whatever I'm going to, especially if I'm visiting farms, which is like my common theme when I travel. You know, I just want to be of service to them because I have that much respect for their culture. And everybody's not down for that. So, as a farmer and traveling by myself, that's the kind of things I like to do.
1: <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. So, how can you? what is being of service as a traveler look like?
2: Yeah, I mean, really, that is just it goes back to how I feel about being a farmer is a sacrifice of, of body and what most people need done or laborious things that in, in, that involve physical labor, and I'm always willing to. To give my back and my knees to the benefit of who, wherever I may be. And most of the time that is a farm, but that could be, you know, helping prepare a meal. That could be, you know, helping to set a table. I, I feel like there's always these common things where I find myself and it does happen to be around food. It could be running to their, you know, local bodega to go grab something or harvesting something for them. Yeah. Like I just always want to help whatever way I can. That is something that's useful for them, truly useful for them.
1: Yeah, so you feel that a great way to move about the world is a kind of servant tourism, but in a more one-to-one way, right? By engaging with the with the locals in right. non-touristic places and through that engagement, through being a sponge, now you're like, "Ooh, I can help you out in this way." And then yeah you're building their relationship based on that service and showing yeah, up. Yeah. And
2: it's experiential. Yeah. Experiential yeah. learning is, is to me the way that all people should learn. <laughs> I truly believe that it's the way that we retain as well. Yeah. And when we're experiencing things, we, uh, we walk away with so much more and that part, we leave that whoever we helped through that experience, we leave them with so much more. It's so much more impact that I believe is really measurable to say, like, wow, that was really helpful today. Today, I didn't have to do that thing that I do every single day. And, you know, I'm going to remember Krista always for that because she did that for me.
1: That's so real. Experiential learning, servant tourism, selfish, selflessness, <laughs> sacrifice. <laughs> I'm just reflecting on all the things I, I learned from you today. Which is a bunch. You are truly a remarkable person. I'm really excited about, you know, the stuff that we're working on getting to work with you and getting to know you through your work and as, as a, you know, ally comrade in the work as well. Tell people what you're working on now that you're excited about and where they can find and support the work.
2: Yeah, right now we're, we're building our nonprofit. There's quite a few things that we have in the in the fire right now, but I'm very proud of Farmer John and Friends Foundation Fund, which is, it's an opportunity for us to train Black and Brown people that have interest in learning how to grow food. And not only that, like not just becoming farmers, but also learning how to start their own food business, you know, delving into agripreneurship. So it's called the Farmer John Agripreneur cohort. This is year two. 2022 was our very first year. We graduated seven folks, and this year we're taking on 10 new candidates. We're just excited. You know, some of the businesses that have come out of our first cohort, I'm very proud of as they're continuing to develop. We're able to put people's products that they that we've helped them with on store shelves through the connections and resources that we have have where our products are sold. And we're able to get people land. You know through our program helping them get micro grants and even building up to even helping them apply for actual grants to get some real funding that's what i'm most excited about because as as you may or may not know i know you know stephen but for your audience you know in the 1920s there were a million black owned farms in this nation and so here we are in 2023 where there is under 33,000. And that number is continuing to lower. We're continuing to face pressure. So, you know, there is just so much that needs to be done around making sure that Black people have firm standing in the world of agriculture and that our major players here, because we were literally exploited. Black bodies were exploited for the purpose of building the industrial revolution here in America. And so it's time for us to to revert back to what we know, get back to basics, start putting our hands in soil, remove the stigma that is around soil, especially for black and brown and and indigenous people. And let's start printing money again, which is basically growing food.
1: No follow-ups. Beautiful. Tell us the foundation again.
2: It is Farmer John and Friends Foundation Fund. It can be supported through our website at Farmer John Philly. Uh, Support us by coming to our events. We'll be having a very large grand opening on April 22nd, which is Earth Day at our new land, which is 123 acres right outside of Philadelphia. So we invite everybody to to pull up to that because that's truly I'm calling it homecoming because that's truly a homecoming. For everybody in America, literally, that has been impacted by Black people, um, which is which is the whole nation, <laughs> and by agriculture and farming, which again is the whole nation. So we're trying to see everybody come out from all the corners of America.
1: Beautiful. Thank you to executive producer, Celine Glacier, sound engineer, Max Kolachuk, editor, Ilgin Kordogon, and associate producer, Quentin LeBeau. Special thank you to music composer, Catherine Yang, for all of the music that you heard on this episode, and Alexandra Bowman for the outstanding cover art. You can follow us and learn more about Whetstone Media at our website, whetstonemedia.com, or on Instagram and YouTube at Media. We'll be back next week.